Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Grandstand cricket. With a splendid innings for New Zealand. But they are all out for 372. Another test is done and dusted. Now it's time for some post-match parlay with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. The final word with ABC Grandstand. Welcome to the final word. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Australia have pulled out a very special win by innings and 18 runs yesterday from really nowhere, Jeff. They lost 141 overs terrain in this test match. They had a bloke make a double ton batting into the third day. They were batting themselves into the fifth day in their first innings. How did they do this? Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I, I don't know how anything's happened really this summer. We've had Pakistan turn a, you know, a completely unwinnable thing in Brisbane into almost a miracle victory and then turn an unlosable draw into <laughs> a, a shocking final session loss. Um, but just some outstanding bowling, from, particularly from Mitchell Stark at the end. But uh, as I was writing on the ABC, everybody chipped in. It's all four bowlers really working together. And you just felt like it was possible, even though it should have been a draw. Yeah, Steve Smith uh, said after play, I think Nathan Lyon observed this actually, that Smith said they had to believe the whole way through. And that's why they set up a plan on the morning of day five to try and get 140 to 180 ahead. They ended up getting 181 ahead, I think it was. And, mm-hmm. um, and that was enough. That was the, the belief. And that, that, I think that you know, sometimes we think about games being over. The modern test cricket, there's only been seven games drawn this year in 2016. That's the fewest since 1977, according to Andrew McGlashan at Cricket Info. And I think that, that that tells you a bit of a story about how few overs you do need to win a test match. So I, I see why. I can understand why Smith retained that faith all the way through. Yeah, I suppose at the end, you know, the overs were the more important number than the runs. You know, 68 mm. overs to survive was essentially what was laid out there for Pakistan. And it's often the case you see with cricket teams that when you just need to bat and survive, that's when it becomes harder. You know, there are a few specialists Absolutely. out there, the sort of South African dead batters who can who can play that dead man's hand role. But... Um, you know, when there's something to play for, you see Pakistan's tail come out in the first innings and smash the ball around. But when it's a matter of uh, needing to defend the ball and just needing to survive, suddenly that that pressure just starts to wind up. So, some wonderful stats and numbers coming out. I think my favourite one, though, is only the second time 
that a team has declared in the first innings and got beaten by an innings. The other, Australia in 2013 in India at Hyderabad. I don't remember that. Do you remember Australia declaring in, in 2013 at Hyderabad? I don't, I don't recall I one. Do. Earth it was, I don't it know was, why yeah, we I do. Declared. It was a Michael Clark funky declaration. Ah, um, right, that era. And it was a pretty it was a pretty low first inning score. I it was 273. It was yeah. yeah, I was just doing it from memory, though. I remember it being about 250. And he was like, no, let's have a pop. You know, let's get him in. I think it was uh, towards the end of the day. And, mm. you know, why not? Um, I mean, it didn't do them any harm. They got whitewashed 4-0. So <laughs> the other games where he didn't funky declare in the first innings didn't help either. So. so they were 22 ahead coming into the last day, and they set this up. As I said, they wanted 140 to 180. They better than a runner ball. Mitchell Stark about 84. And we'll go into this in greater depth as we go on. But that was the foundation. They took all 10 wickets, and they won with, in the end, 14 overs to spare. They did it with a leg in the air. They could have they could have batted for another hour. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, even had Pakistan not declared, in that first innings, you know, they might yeah. have lasted another five overs and put on a, another 20 runs. Australia would have batted a few more overs and then they would have won in the last over of the fifth day and it would have been a much better result. Significant consequences for Pakistan. They've now lost five on oh, the trot. Huge. It feels like a long time ago since they were top of the world after that you know, famous England drawn tour series back in August. Now they've lost five on the spin. Mizbar Al-Huk, the uh, you know, glorious captain of this side, is weighing up his future. He may not even play in Sydney. Yeah, I, I mean, I find that really... Strange. I mean, if he's coming out and saying that now, surely that means he's going to pull the pin. Like, you you wouldn't say that before a, a back-to-back test match. Oh, I might not be there. I might not play. Yeah, I think that's right. I think when you when you when you signal that you may retire, it's it's, it's really the case that you you you're back on your your initial gut feeling. And the truth is, his dismissal yesterday is reflective of a guy who. Um, probably has reached the point where he has to consider these things. He, he, he uh, fell straight into the trap that Steve Smith set him. That you know it wasn't um, it wasn't the hand that was required at the time. And I understand why he's considering it. Uh, as for Australia, I guess the fact that it's now a dead rubber in Sydney, they've got the chance to lay a foundation for the Indian series. And we've seen that with the introduction to the squad of Ashton Agar and Steve O'Keefe at the expense of Chad Sayers and Nick Maddinson. So yeah. Maddinson's not not going to make the trip to his home ground. You know what this means? It means we're going to get a weirdo. Frankenstein eleven for Sydney because they don't need to worry about like having to win that test to win the series. But um, I mean, what what is going on with these selections? How is what what's Ashton Agar's job in that squad? I mean, Mark War on TV was saying, oh, he's in the squad as an all rounder. He averages about twenty four in first class cricket. I can I can see the underlying logic to having a third spinner in the squad if if, if a keep doesn't come up who's been injured recently. I get why they want to have a is he injury cover But would he bowl as a specialist spinner? Well, I th- well, yeah, I think he would. I think in the event that O'Keefe didn't come up for whatever reason, and he's been playing Big Bash as well, if, mm-hmm. if, if something, if a niggle came through either line or, or O'Keefe, they usually have a spare bowler in the squad. And, and mm-hmm. in, in case, instead of having a spare quick in the squad, they're, they're going on balance of probability that they need a spare spinner. <laughs> Just because occasion. Steve O'Keefe is so fragile physically. Well, I mean, it's, but they apply the same principle to fast bowlers usually as well by taking one spare bowler all the yep. way till match day. I think that's just the, the spinners will be more important. Sure, because they're a little more likely to break down. Is, is but the, perhaps, the rule but of thumb. Uh, they're going to play two spinners here. So they've got Hilton Cartwright as the backup for the quicks as well. Um, there's every possibility that he'll, he'll get a start if they well, want to rest one of them. Well, he doesn't he? I mean, Maddinson, you know, being out of the frame, really. I mean, you need a number six. It looks likely that he'll play, which will enable them to rest one of the quicks and then um, enable, of course, Steve O'Keefe to play alongside Nathan Lyon. But having Agar there is not for nothing. I think that that's, a, that's more a longer-term thing, too. I think they, they view Agar as a sort of player who will be around the squad for many years, and they mm. see an opportunity for him to, to travel up to Sydney and, and be part of it and around the side. And yeah. you know, yeah. some, Sometimes these things are, are taken into consideration, too. I mean, certainly Maddinson's dropping. They've said that, look, they... 
you know, he didn't do well, but they, they, they are encouraging him to use this experience and opportunity to come back. And we see many players get dropped and come back a second time better for the run. Mm. So, you know, I kind of get why they want Agar around. And, and to be fair... Oh, that he, test uh, bowling average of 119 is compelling. You know, you Took 10 wickets <laughs> in a shield game earlier this year there. So, yeah, uh, uh, being he, annoying at that point. Yeah, I know, but he did take... T- and that's the other thing. So Agar has bowled well at shield level this yep. year uh, and has made first-class centuries, which is something that... Um, you know, not a lot of uh, bowlers who can bat a bit can't claim a couple of first class hundreds in the last twelve months. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, I, I get, I'm, I'm supportive of the, of the decision broadly. But what it does mean, as you say, Jeff, is that we could get any eleven of those thirteen players taken to Sydney. Almost any combination is plausible. Yeah, and and any combination has a lot of knock on effects for other spots in the order. Mm. Just before we go back and go through the test, last question on that. Who do you leave out if you want to rest one of the quicks? Absolutely unfair on all of them. They're all bowling so well together. This is what I was writing about last night. Yeah. You've got these four bowlers who, who've suddenly started to gel and, and who haven't had the opportunity. You know, Jackson Bird has looked a million bucks since he came back into the side. He's been better and better every innings. He's played his part really well. Mitchell Stark has said uh, umpteen times this year, I want to play six test matches. I don't want to be yeah. rested. He'll be filthy if they leave him out, especially since he essentially won that match for them You know, at the last gasp. And Josh Hazelwood's been bowling the, the best of his career. I'd leave Stark out, um, not because he doesn't want to play, not because he wants to play six test matches, but remember his comments about wanting to play six test matches happened before a significant um, leg wound early in the summer, which affected his loads. He, he was spiking, as they say, in the in the parlance in the first two test matches in Perth and in Hobart. Um, so, I mean, it, it, with an injury-prone bowler like Stark, I do see merit in um, taking the longer-term view and, and, and preserving him as best possible for later in the summer and certainly India. So, like, I don't think it's the end of the world if he plays five or six, considering he's managed to do what he did yesterday, which was spectacular. But also, he didn't have the best first few days of this test. He wasn't anywhere near as potent early on, and uh, and maybe that's a sign of fatigue, or maybe that's a sign of just you know not going so well. It happens in cricket at the best of times. But on the other I, hand, either way, if I, you've just won two test matches on the bounce for your country yeah, in Brisbane which, which and here, he's, he's made yep. the the key contribution right at the end, certainly with the pressure on, you know, with with the match in the balance right at the end of a fifth day, um, he's been the one to come through. Yeah, and I take your point about not wanting to be left out and early in his career. I mean, he was dropped or left out on 11 separate occasions before he stitched three test matches together. I, I feel sympathy for him about wanting to play all, all through the summer, but I, I do think a bigger picture out, outlook is that he isn't the same bowler that he was two years ago as a, as a peripheral, not peripheral, but an in-and-out member of the side. He's legitimately the attack spearhead now, and, and in turn, I think you can play... Um, you, can, you can be creative with the way you manage him going forward, especially um, in light of the fact that he has had a year interrupted by injury a few times. So, I mean, I, I certainly see his perspective and Smith said himself yesterday if they try and leave him out they'll, they'll be up against it because he won't let them leave him out but I don't think they're going to take no for an answer uh, well I think they might have some serious uh, spikiness coming back at them but uh, let's talk test match cricket but... yeah let, let's let's get there so on the final word today we're also going to talk about the WBBL and the BBL two big rounds there of course the BBL starting for season 16-17 and at the end of the final word we're going to go through our best moments of 2016 and a bit of a New Year's Eve wrap this is the final word with ABC Grandstand. Okay, final word. Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Let's get cracking on this test match. Pakistan won the toss and had a bat. And I think the people who are most happy about that were the uh, 63,000 fans gathered at 
at the MCG, maybe not 63,000 when the first ball was bowled, admittedly. No, about 37,000, I think, mm-hmm. early on in the day, I but, recall. But all the same, they got to uh, they got to watch Nathan Lyon bowl on Boxing Day, which was the big point of interest before. Like, it's a lot, feels like a long time ago now. So much has happened in Nathan Lyon's life in the last five days, really, when you think about it. But um, but back then, it was it was, it was the nice Gary um, the tribute they were going to do after the third ball. When he comes in and bowls his third ball of the innings, and lo and behold, gets Sammy's edge, goes to first slip, and, and all hell breaks loose. It was well, magnificent. Ruined the world record attempt because everyone just went... And I like how the MCG crowd, true enough, astute watchers of the game, they, they did it in his second spell and in the second <laughs> second time he bowled on day, day two, I think it was, and, and continued accordingly. But it did, did you, mean... Did you just drop like a very knowledgeable crowd bit in there? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Um, Melbourne, Melbourne, Mel- Melbourne every crowds. ground in the world. Yeah, I think I think Melbourne more than most. Every commentator in every ground in the world, like Seddon Park and Hamilton, they're very knowledgeable crowd. No, I, I think I think I think I think we can claim some some uh, some legitimacy on that tag in Melbourne. I'm gonna, Eddie Head Stadium, go very knowledgeable crowd here uh, <laughs> under the roof. We, of we're going to talk about Eddie Head Stadium later tonight. I show you, or, or Dockland Stadium, I should say. We are on the ABC after all. Anyway, so the the Australian pace attack. Um, it did pretty well, I felt, that morning in relatively challenging conditions. Um, Josh Hazel, we got the second breakthrough, uh, a catch taken at second slip, bar, bar, removed for 23. And then Bird went through the old boys in the second session. It was Eunice copying an absolute screamer through the gate. And a pretty good catch at short leg by Nick Maddinson. Well, actually, more than a pretty good catch, an excellent catch mm-hmm. to, to get rid of Mizbar. So four wickets were taken, but that was it. The rain came, and that was a bit of a pattern of, of the week. So, I mean, I don't know. At 63,000 at the MCG, we've talked about this off air. Probably not bad in the context of rain. I always like it when Melbourne get 80,000 on Boxing Day, though, I must admit. Yeah, but, you know, with a dodgy forecast, I reckon you always get, you know, another 10,000, 12,000 in that second half of the afternoon. And with the rain coming in, I think they would have got 70,000. I reckon if we'd had 70,000 for a first day against Pakistan, that would have been seen as a triumph. Yeah, three when it's three quarters full, it looks, it looks about right on Boxing Day, doesn't it? Anyway, moving to day two. Uh, as Ali wasn't dismissed overnight, he was still there. It was his big day. There were, there were sort of no risks. There was no mm-hmm. excitement. There was no chances about his innings. But to a hundred, he went and uh, and really established his credentials as one of the best openers in the world. It was a fine innings. Yes, what a big day! Azar and Charlene's wedding um, it looked beautiful <laughs> as he came down the aisle. Yeah, I, I, I've, I was really happy for him. You know, he's he's such an understated player, and and I wrote about him after the the double hundred that you know he just doesn't really get that much attention. He made a triple ton a few months ago, mm. and people are sort of it's like a footnote. Oh yeah, made three hundred. Um, and, and to come out and do it in those circumstances, it was really hard graft, I think. Especially that, around the rain delays. Like, yeah. it's, it's hard to, you've got to consider how many times he had to reboot and reload and get ready to bat again exactly. and, 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 and reestablish his concentration. And get the discipline down. And, and the point is, um, oh, the number slipped my mind, but he didn't score his first boundary till something like his 97th ball. Um, and then it was just, you know, a flick off the pads through square leg. Right. So he was so disciplined. He wasn't uh, going for any big shots. He was, you know, finding a run here and there. I think he only made 25 or 26 in the first session mm. on day one. Um, and then coming into day two, you know, started to get a bit of rhythm up. He was uh, batting with Asad Shafiq's probably when he had his, his strongest partnership of that um, that first innings. But he just kept going and going and going. And and as you say, there was no ability to build any consistency. Yeah, that's right. He put on 115 with Assad. That was their most important partnership. But after that rain delay lasting three and a half hours, we thought we'd get no more play that day. But the Australian bowlers were back on top. Both Hazelwood and Bird made breakthroughs. The rain came again. It was all rather frustrating, but it was probably on as shared going into day three. But by that point, we saw the rain forecast for day three, and we're like, oh, it's going to be thunderstorms tomorrow. They're not going to get a... 
not going to get a full day's play. They might they might miss out again. And, and the rain didn't come, and it was by far the best day of the Test match. Well, absolutely. And everybody plunged on the draw. <laughs> three, oh, yeah, three thousands yeah. of dollars at the draw through the water which, uh, did not work out particularly well. It was out, it was it was it was out to um, on day one it was out to four dollars and people saw the forecast and were, were very attracted by it. People would have lost a lot of money on this rain forecast eventually being yep. being wrong, getting two full days on day three and day five. And if you do, let that be a lesson to you that gambling is the devil's work, and I will have none of it. Well said. Um, yeah, look, what got really interesting was towards the end of that innings where. Uh, where you've got Azhar Ali batting along with uh, with with Amir with Sohal Khan and and suddenly things are starting to get pretty uh, pretty loose and pretty interesting out in the middle. Yeah, well, it did, didn't it? it was it, well, uh, well, first of all, Azhar got to a double hundred, which put him over a thousand runs for the calendar year. So I think we can you know put a full stop on him by saying he is the opener of the year, even if the ICC's team of the year um, didn't say as much uh, for reasons that aren't entirely clear. I think they went September to September yeah. in their bracket, which is bizarre when you're releasing a team in December. Yeah, it just doesn't work. I mean, just wait till the last test is over and do it then. It only takes a day. Nonetheless, uh, if you've made a triple and a double in a year, I don't care if you only played two innings. You're the best <laughs> opener of the year. Sorry. Uh, so you went nuts with Sohal Khan. They made 65. Uh, they put on 118 in, in barely an hour That's before so declaring. Insane. So Hal Khan was just going for the stands again and again. He's like, oh, I'm hitting sixes. I'm hitting them well. Made his first uh, test half century. Hit four of them off Nathan Lyon. It was under the pump, really. I mean, Lyon didn't bowl that badly, I thought, in the first innings. But he got absolutely carved up by Sohail, which really did a, did a world of damage for him at the time. But, yeah, they ended up making their way to 443 for nine. But it was very exciting. But at that point of the game, you're probably thinking... You know, halfway through day three, one team can win the test match, and that's Pakistan and Australia. Were really, at that stage, almost no chance, especially with rain forecast to get on day four. But yeah. they went out, they went out and didn't approach it that way. I thought that was probably the one of the key turning points of the whole test match. So the way they approached the um, the first innings chase, if you like, to try and get to parity with Pakistan on day three, they went at you know basically five and over from the get go. David Warner leading that charge, and that did lay a foundation that, that made it chaseable yeah. by the end of day three. And I reckon with Warner, I mean, you just described it as he's never made so many runs batting so badly. Mm. Um, he was in terrible nick. He was he was mistiming constantly. He was playing and missing a lot. And I, I got the impression he just went, well, you know, I might as well ride my luck and just keep going and, and, and just try to push on as hard as he could. And yeah, he did, and it, it worked. It definitely felt that way. After 100, he was more fluent, as yeah. as as will happen after you made it to three figures. But, yeah, tends um, to. Yeah, but he, and he was speeding up. Actually, I, I briefly brought up uh, the, the, the quickest 200 list, mm-hmm. thinking he could break into the top five, and he probably would have had he got there. But he was actually out for 144 of 143. He put on 198 with Usman Khawaja, who, by contrast, played a glorious innings. But we'll get to that in a moment. Let's just recap on Warner's year. So he made 100 in his first innings, 100 in his last innings. He didn't didn't make prolific runs, although I feel like he was still a consistent contributor. I feel like that it was still an okay year. He just doesn't have the three-figure tally to reflect it. Yeah, I mean, I think he ended up, well, before that innings, he was averaging 35 for the year, plus whatever that last 100 got him. Um, So, you know, he was chipping in with sort of 40s here and 60s there and yeah, know, a couple of failures, um, quite a few 50s. But, but yeah, it was in one-day cricket, as we've talked about previously, that he really got going and, you know, pummeled, what, 700s this year plus a couple of 90s and, and was supreme. So, you know, inverted his previously indifferent ODI form um, and his previously glorious test form, but still a, a, a very solid, creditable year as a test match opener. Yeah, the, the turning point, I think, for Pakistan in that innings, uh, especially with Warner, was when he was on 81. He was bowled by Wahab Rehad's gem, mm. a 150-kilometre swinging Yorker, the stuff that dreams are made of, really, is a quick and 
the arm was unfurled to reflect the fact that it was a huge no ball. Not just a no ball, a huge no ball. The one of one of three on the trot, 10 he bowled on the day, 100 he's bowled since returning to the Pakistan test side, I think one stat said. three in a row in that. Three in a, yeah, that was the middle of the three. Yeah. yeah, it was the middle of the three bowled and, on the trot. And you always get, you know, people thinking they're really clever going, oh, Pakistan, oh, no balls, oh, yeah, oh, dodgy. Um, no, <laughs> if you're bowling three in a row, <laughs> there is no way. Like, that would be too obvious for even, oh. like, Crookie McCrookerson from Crooked Town. <laughs> <laughs> would not go, oh, let's bowl three in a row. Imagine if you're an underground bookie and a bloke lobs in and he's like, what are the odds on three no balls in a row in the next over? You'd be like, don't think I'm going to take that bet. Well, but you could, and furthermore, the reason you really knew it was for real was how gutted he was. Poor old Wahab. He, he wears his, um, you know, wears his emotions clear to all for all to see. And, uh, and he was absolutely distraught, limping back to his mark after that dismissal. And even the ball after, the over after he bowled a couple more no balls, it was yet more embarrassment yeah. for him, really. A misbar removed Steve him from Harmison the attack. level, almost. You know, getting just like the yips so badly on the run-up that yeah. you don't know where you're starting and from it happens. or where you're landing. I mean, I think every fast bowler has gone through it. Every club bowler has probably gone through it at some stage, having, you know, the yips or, or something going awry, whether it's the front foot or not being able to hit the pitch. I mean, it's happened to everyone, but it's, it's not nice to happen on a stage as big as the MCG during a Boxing Day test match. So he was taken out of the attack and that... Uh, and, and also, uh, that really did break the back of... I mean, Yazir never looks likely um, throughout the course of day three, but yeah. um, he got he got plundered. And he wasn't helped at all, was he, by a field that was set by Misbah that was 3-6, so three on the offside, six on a leg side all day. And his lines to the two left-handers were so straight. Well, absolutely. And he kept you know being punched through cover and... There were so many scoring opportunities for them on the offside. It's it's this thing where it's been discussed by you know people who analyse Pakistan cricket better than I can. But uh, there seems to be a, a conflict between how Mizpah wants to use him. You know, he's such a good mm. attacking bowler, but he's basically being asked to do a stock bowler's role, um, trying to contain, but then you know not really being given any support in terms of taking wickets. So that sense of threat goes, um, and as soon as that goes for a wrist spinner, I think. You're all at sea. You know, what's your job out there as a wrist spinner if not to attack and take wickets? So let's talk about Usman. He made 95 by uh, the end of day three, and he was about as good as you'd, you'd see him. I mean, I'm not going to say it was the highest amount of pressure he'll face in the test innings. What he did in Adelaide yeah. was more considerable in many ways. Because at that point, it was still going for a draw. You know, at that point, it was yeah, like, come right. out and have a happy bat. Even for Dave Warner, I don't think he was coming out saying, I'm going to make big runs and set up a, a, a result. I think he was going, sweet centre wicket, net session that counts to my stats. Well, um, yeah, I think he, for him, it's for, for Warner, it's like, I really need to get the monkey off the back, yeah. as it were, and, you know, clocked his 17th test century. Yeah. For, for Usman, it, I mean, it, it felt like he, he was doing it with ease, especially to Yazir, which I think is encouraging when you think about the India tour coming up. We've both been critical of yeah. his play against spin, and, yeah, it wasn't the most penetrative uh, spin bowling he'll ever face, certainly no comparison to what you'll see in India on Raging Turners. But as a senior member in this side, um, he, he's got to uh, he's got to uh, um, show an ability to do that consistently. Just a segue, can we? Surely Ashton Turner's nickname must be raging. Uh, I, I, as I said it, I felt it. Um, Ashton Turner, who was in test speculation yesterday for about six hours as well. Yeah, Rajo, Rajo is what they say. Rajo, he's a Rajo. Bowling Rajo, the Rajo. Yeah, the Rajo. I can see the Stager. Um, yeah, nonetheless, sorry, we got distracted there. Look, facing Yasir Shah on the MCG is very different to facing Ravi Ashwin on a. Tennis court. Sure is. Yeah, facing him on the clay courts of uh, Roland Garros, (laughs) Um, which is effectively what it'll be at Pune in the first test match. I assure you of that. 
It'll be uh, Gustavo Quirton oh. playing uh, Thomas Muster. <laughs> It'll be opening the bowling for India. Just the clay court specialists everywhere. <laughs> just a lot of Around to Sanchez Vicario will be there for all to see. <laughs> just putting in the magnificent slide. Yeah, and all the Australians will be bundled out in the first round. You could Just like in the first innings, just like any good French <laughs> Open, all Australians bundled out, always bundled out in the first round. What do you mean Sam Stozer didn't make it to the second round? <laughs> what do you mean Pat Rafter didn't get through the didn't get through a qualifier from Equatorial Guinea or something? You know, it's always something. Ash Barty's quit and she's playing for the Brisbane Heat. <laughs> and now she's back at Wimbledon. I watched Ash Barty put on a party in the mixed doubles at, at Wimbledon this year, and half the Brisbane Heat were there watching her. I'm like, what's going on here? What a world, what a world we live in. Oh, it's like sport remix. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway, let's talk about cricket for a bit, shall we? Um, the next morning, Usman Khan. Oh, they, I should add, they, they, they were only 165 behind uh, mm-hmm. coming into the fourth day, so a pretty good day. They lost Usman for 97. I was gutted about that. That's the second time this year he's gone for 97. He should have 700s in 14 months. Instead, it's 12. It's five and, and two ninety sevens, which it was a bit of a waft. It's a bit of a you know, you know what it actually is. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a lesson to be learnt for a batsman doing well in the nineties before stumps. Get the runs before because you don't want to have to reset and go again. Yeah. If you're on ninety five with an over to go like he was the previous night, just get those five runs. Don't leave it. Or alternatively, don't come out the next day thinking that you're batting as well as you were last night. Sure, because, start again. You know, yeah. you actually have to reset. And here's a bad restarter. You know, we saw it in Hobart, was it, where he, he came out the next mm. morning and suddenly was mm. all at sea, played and missed you know 11 times or whatever it was and then nicked off when he'd been looking pretty uh, decent the previous day so he's got a bit of a history of that um, and hopefully that's something he can learn from because yeah to throw away two tons in a summer is uh, I don't know Lady Bracknell might say to throw away one ton maybe regarded (laughs) as misfortune to throw away two starts to look like carelessness. Well said Uh, a man who does restart well is the little stiffer the captain Smudger Smith. He was on ten overnight, and he um he, he came out and sniffing, brained him sniffing a ton. Yeah, well, he, he basically had um, Peter Peter Hanscom join him, and I, I can think of they're just the same player. Right? I find it really hard to tell them apart when they're out there. And Hanscom looks like him too a little bit when he yeah. with the helmet on, with, um, it's like, same stature, and but he, somehow even smaller. Hanscom's like mini sniff. <laughs> <laughs> There's sort of big sniff and, and little sniff. Well, well, when they came together, um, there was still yeah the better part of 160 to knock off to to get a first innings lead, and they seemed perfectly placed to do that. They didn't go nuts. I mean Smith and Hanscom were ticking along at about three or four runs and over. There was nothing crazy like the previous night. And they were happy just to accumulate and make sure they took that first innings lead. It was a, a fine partnership between the two of them. How, how about Hanscom? Well, they put on 92, but Hanscom made 54. He must be thinking how easy is Test cricket. You know, uh, first, what is it? He's played one, one, three one tests a stat now. on Hanscom? Please. Never, never been dismissed in Test cricket for less than 54. Oh, well. <laughs> He's got two, he's two low scores and not outs. One not out, 35, not out, 54, 54, 105. What a dreamy thing. Imagine that. Imagine not getting, not having to have the indignity of walking off without having a half century to your name. Yeah, exactly. It, it can only get worse for Peter Hanscom. Averaging let 83. It, let, it be, let it be known. It can only, as Adam Voges is going to test, yeah, it can exactly. only get worse. Promise you. <laughs> and we rode that Voges roller coaster all the way to the top. Oh, man. We're <laughs> going to talk about Voges later, I'm sure, in our best and worst of 2016. In, I, can't, I can't see how we won't. In the, in the, yeah, the New Zealand uh, test there when he made it, he peaked over 100. God, we were riding that hard. I've, no, I've never had a tweet go more more ballistic than when, when Adam Voges went, went went through Bradman's average in his 20th innings. <laughs> it was very exciting. Anyway, enough enough about enough about Voji for now. Um, there was nothing silly in that period, and I, li- and I liked that. But um, what it did do was set up um, Maddinson and Wade uh, as Australia was nearing a first innings lead. That both for brought... exactly the thing that they're supposed. Yeah, to Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you had said to me or anyone uh, before this Test series, what's Maddinson there to do? You'd say, well, he's there to take you from parity to 100 ahead in an hour. 
Um, and that wasn't that wasn't what he was able to do. He faced 55 balls for his 22, so maybe the captain, Smith, who was out there with him, wasn't encouraging him to do anything too outlandish, but even so, he was bowled through the gate, dancing down to Yazir, and it may have been the shot um, had, he, had he felt more confident in his surrounds, but he gets bowled, and all of a sudden, it looks like a disastrous and careless dismissal. May have been the shot had he picked the slider. I think it was the one that, that just went on with the arm, wasn't right. it? Um, yeah, the sort of right. Yeah. The sort of scrambled seam came out the front of the hand, and... Uh, nipped on straight, so it, it, it was a pretty ugly looking stroke, though. When you, because you know, if he hadn't been bold, he would have been stumped, and if he hadn't been stumped, he might have been caught behind. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and you look at the, um, and you look at the, uh, the, um, the, the Wade dismissal, caught behind again since he's returned to this Australian side. That's been his consistent form of dismissal. Um, he's probably. Trying to force away from his body outside off. That's right. It's been that again and again. Edge to the keeper or edge to the court. And he hasn't made double figures since he came back into the test. Yeah, and he's not under any real pressure because there's no shield cricket for Neville to to bash the door down or Whiteman if they want to go outside the square a bit. Or or, or if we want to go really left field, you know, is is, is Tim Payne starting to lurk again? Making a lot of runs. Well, he did make 91 against the Stars in the Big Bash, and we'll talk about that a bit later. But it's, it's, well, I think the truth is Tim Payne would be crazy. He was playing club cricket a year ago. But um, even so, I I do. um, um, I, I do find it interesting that there's not a huge amount of speculation about Wade spotting the side, but it might be if he fails again in Sydney. Even well, the, the so, thing is that he's, he's he's surely doomed to keep badly in India, isn't he? I mean, uh, there's there's a sense some people are defensive, saying, "Oh, everybody's death rating is keeping," but it, a lot of the chances he's missed haven't actually been picked up. You know, I, I counted a couple of stumpings and a couple of catches in Brisbane, and and most reports were saying, "Oh, he dropped a catch and missed a stumping." You know, I reckon he got away pretty lightly given how ordinary his keeping was up there. Well, if you look at the one thing I would say is that you look at the the T twenty World T twenty squad they selected for India back in March, or it was picked in February for March. They they went with Neville not because mm. of his batting prowess, but he because he was... 10. He did. It was because of his keeping. So if you're going to apply that principle to the shortest form of the game, I'd be surprised if it didn't translate through to test cricket. Well, exactly. Particularly considering a T20 pitch in India is much more likely to be a good batting deck yeah. Um, yeah, than, than right. a test match pitch. But of course, that was back in the Rod Marsh days, and we're now in the glorious era of our leader, Greg Chappell. Well, Trevor Hines. Trevor well, Hines yeah, I mean, Hines, Trevor Hines is in charge, but he's been around... He's He's been on there for about 40 years. You know, <laughs> he, he, just, <laughs> he, he just gets renewed. He's, Greg, Greg he, Chappell might... He's be, actually deathless. <laughs> Greg Chappell might pick a 14-year-old that he's seen keep a couple of times in a, in a, in a, in a, in a development squad somewhere. So yeah. you saw him in the youth carnival, the under-15s, and, and give him a baggy grain. Yeah, I saw, saw a kid on a tram, you know, get thrown a 20-cent coin and, <laughs> and take it cleanly. You went, oh, yeah, nice, nice Sorry, reflexes. We, we shouldn't be mean to, to, to G.S. Chappell. He's all the time great. No, you know, I just sort of feel a bit bad about it. But we've said it now. We've done it now. We're not going to edit it out, are I'll we? I'll take so. it back. Um, the, the Sorry, Pakistan Greg. did have a small window to get themselves back um, into the test at this point when they took those two t- quick wins. They, they probably weren't going to um, be a chance to win it from there. Well, you wouldn't think so anyway, but they could have um, restricted the first innings lead to a manageable one. But Mitchell Starr came out um, at that stage at, at six down, and that proved to be the, the, probably the most important partnership of the game. Before yep. that occurred and really took off, Steve Smith made it to triple figures. I liked Ian Gould's touch, asking Smith... Um, as he relayed in his media conference, asking Smith whether he wanted to make three more runs before they went off for rain. And he goes, yeah, right, we'll go and do that. So I think he said that he didn't say that to, to, to umpire. Of course, because Sniffer Smith plays it straight all the time. He said, oh, no, I said to the umpire, oh, you know, whatever you decide is best. Whatever the know. umpire decision says is right. Which, I mean, is that true? <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I want to believe that he said, they said to each other, they stitched it up and said, as soon as you do 100, yeah. you, you, can, you can go off and... Have a glass of cordial, a glass of raspberry cordial for Steve. But I mean, is that is that legit though? Like, I, I just I, I don't that know. doesn't sit well with me. I like, I want to believe, it's like Fox Mulder. I want to believe. I like I, these things. What doesn't sit well with me is that I, the umpires seemingly, you know, can't quite confirm it. But when Australia didn't want to take 
their new ball when they were bowling because it was raining and they didn't want to get it wet. They were allowed to go off early for lunch. Yeah, and then true. when it's raining, Smith's on 97, he's allowed to stay out and score a couple more runs and get 100. It just, it just doesn't jive. Like, the umpires mm. should, aren't there to be mates with the players. They're not there to accommodate the players. They should be trying to accommodate the crowd. They should be trying to get as much play as possible, and I have no problem with staying on if you can get a bit more play. But for it to be influenced by the state of play on the pitch is absolutely unfair and absolutely mm. against the rules of the game, as, as I would understand them. Uh, that's, that's not an unreasonable point. Um, either way, he did get to 100 and Stark was on 7 and Lee was 22 when they came back for day 5. And, you know, most of us said no chance. But I look at it slightly differently. Yeah. I mean, no chance to an extent. But as, as I pointed out at the front of the, front of the show... You, you, you know, 96 overs or 90, 98 overs rather is a fairly long time in the context of a cricket game where these players are used to playing white ball cricket and, and chasing down outrageous totals. So Smith was right, I think, to say, look, if we can pile them on, we're a chance here. And, and pile yeah. them on, they did. They made 159 at a runner ball uh, in that fifth morning. Smith wanted the lead of 180. He got there. Um, Mitchell Stark, seven sixes. They played 108 test matches at the Melbourne Cricket Ground since 1877. Now, Mitchell Stark, of all people, Holds the record for most. What, what, what a world. Yeah, and, and got out for 84. I really wanted to... Threw away the ton, didn't he? Yeah, kind of wanted the ton. They had seven out, and he just kept going for the big shots. And I guess you have to at that stage of the game. You know, he wasn't there to make 100, but it would have been nice. It still was a, a fine hand and it ended up being, as Russell Jackson over at the Guardian said, you, you couldn't have put a more Keith Miller performance together on the day, really. A, 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 dashing, a dashing contribution with the bat than a, than a match-winning one with the ball later yeah, on. Essentially the won the game twice. He did, he did. So they left Australia... Well, actually, let's talk about Steve Smith briefly. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want to like um, just gloss over Steve Smith making 165 not out. There's some incredible yeah. numbers which come out of that once more. We love going through Steve Smith's numbers on this show, and let's do a few more. So since he came back into the Test side, well, sorry, since he made his first Test hundred at the Oval in 2013, he now averages 73. He's got a career average of over 60 at the moment, which only have five players ahead of him. A couple of handy types, Bradman, Voges, Pollock, Headley, and Suckliffe. Voges just keeps popping up. Just keeps getting there. Okay, he's going to be a guest on this podcast in a minute. He'll just walk he in. He must be. He must be. He's got 17 test tons, all of which have came in the space of 38 test matches. So no matter how you want to crunch the stats, Steve, and he's made more runs after clocking 1,000 in a year for the third consecutive year. He's made more runs in the last three years than any player on the planet. Uh, I think the Australian captain was the only player who could have put Australia in that situation both as the consolid- consolidating on day three and putting the foot down on day, f- day sorry consolidating on day four yep. effectively yep. and putting the foot down on day five that is that is that is Steve Smith's role effectively isn't it he can play he's the man for all seasons consolidator and accelerator as mm. Mr Burns would say I think I can deduce which is the velocitator and which the decelerator <laughs> um, yeah look he, he he can do all the jobs he can do all the things uh, just does whatever he wants out on the cricket field. And for the fact that he ended not out, I think, was very um, telling about his, his intensity, his hunger. His, he, you know, he wasn't going to throw it away. He, he still wanted to, to have that red ink, and I loved it because it pushed the average back above 60. Yeah, it happened. when it does happen, it has happened a couple of times since he's gone above 60. We do enjoy that. What we also enjoyed was Australia getting a crack at Pakistan before the lunch break. I yep. thought that was good, timely declaration. Four overs at them, um, and it worked. Perfect. Nasty little session at TM, uh, and, 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 it paid, <laughs> and it paid dividends with, with, uh, with uh, Sammy Aslam uh, chopping on to Josh Hazelwood, which got the ball rolling, and then after lunch, Babar was leaving before to start first ball. And you felt that there was a, there was a certain momentum to it all. Well, as soon as that with. happened, you're like, they're in. You know, they're definitely on here. But, but they weren't. But then they weren't. There was a good partnership put yep. together um, between partnership. And as uh, and all of a sudden, people are saying, "Well, as as is often the case in these situations, one partnership can kill the game." Yep. 
And Nathan Lyon was the man who turned his test match at that particular juncture. The man yes. who was through the press uh, uh, being, uh, being well, effectively being told that he was going to be or telegraphed through the press he was going to be dropped for Sydney. Yep. Steve Smith made comments to the effect that um, he may not retain his spot. We were getting minute-by-minute minute updates about Steve O'Keefe's whereabouts, whether yep. he was in the squad, out of the squad. Um, you know, there was Where like he a, was having a dance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which what hand was pointing was to the sky? <laughs> <laughs> Had he cracked the glow sticks yet? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, I can't wait until he plays Sydney, we can go on that tangent once again. <laughs> anyway, so Steve O'Keefe is, is bearing down the neck of uh, of line, and he, and he, and he takes. <laughs> Do you think if uh, if they monitor? Steve O'Keefe bowling with some of the newfangled uh, technology. Is it the Dance Dance Revolution? Mean? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how he goes on that machine at time zone. Where you've got to, you've got to hit that's the, the one. That's, oh, that's the, the, one. the revolution. Yeah. Oh, like, you dart, not even the name of it. How many DD revs is he getting on the ball? <laughs> Tons. <laughs> So Nathan, uh, Nathan, Nathan Lyon. So Boutros, Boutros, Gali, Gareth, Gareth Evans, and Nathan, Nathan Lyon. Um, they make it. They make a good trip. Imagine oh, those having trip. dinner together. Oh, that'd be like one of those fantasy dinners. <laughs> that, yeah, you know. Imagine. Oh, you just maybe like Warnie throw Marilyn Monroe in there. But. <laughs> Angelina Jolie with a tattoo of Warnie on her on her face would be the fourth <laughs> member of that. That, that quartet. Uh, um, so Lyon picks up Eunice Khan with a classic bit of off-spin bowling, gets the inside edge, Hanscom takes it. Then Misbah, we talked about his dismissal already, but that lapping around the corner on two occasions. And the thing was, like, Smith was literally, like, moving and tweaking that position as Lyon was bowling. I'm like, it's not as though Misbah couldn't have known where the player yeah. was stationed. Anyway, he's out caught around the corner. And the best of them all was the, the catch at short leg from Hanscom, the third wicket of them, which yep. deceived... Uh, in flight as such, as such Shafiq. And that was obviously, we saw how important he was in the second innings at Brisbane. Well, he, I thought he was the key wicket, actually. I yeah, mean, me too. Given that Eunice yeah, and Misbah were ostensibly, but, you know, given the way they've, how rusty they've been, I thought Assad's the guy who can carry it through. And Lyon just saw him coming. He was, he was advancing and Lyon dragged the ball a bit shorter and it got a bit of bounce, got a bit nasty on him and, and away it went. Um, so it was a miracle catch, but it was good bowling that set it up. But he didn't have a jam roll after tea immediately. Mitchell Stark continued from the southern stand end, which drew a lot of criticism from a lot of people, not least us, but also the TV commentators. But Smith said after play, he wanted to get the ball reversing and give Stark another go. He's ultimately validated, and, and you've you got to give credit where it's due because reverse swing did win this test match. But it was curious that Lyon was left off uh, in, in favour of Stark. Hazelwood got the breakthrough up the other end immediately after tea, um, trapping Azar for 43 and that was crucial, and we thought it was a matter of time. But it wasn't a matter of time. The seventh wicket partnership of 42 took the uh, amount to get for Pakistan to make Australia bat again under 40. Yeah. And then you're going, well, why wasn't Lyon bowling earlier when he right. had the, the, the wind at his back, so to speak? Well, exactly. And, and particularly, you know, you can say reverse wing won it and Stark won it, and that's fine, but it also may have been Lyon who'd won it. Who that's knows? right. He'd already taken three, taken three for 20, you know, in, in the blink of an eye. He'd broken two important partnerships. Uh, you know, what's to say that he mightn't have been the hero with six for in the last innings to win the test and that would have been have been really significant for his future. And, so, and they were, they, were, they were for his head too. I mean, yeah. in the com box, I mean, obviously Shane Warne's, uh, you know, going to speak Michael Clark's line and Clark and Smith, who knows what the relationship is there, but Smith being the, the successor to Clark, there's always going to be an inclination to, to, to reflect on your past glories and Warne's, a, sure. Warne's essentially Clark's mouthpiece. So he was saying, um, making the point very clearly that um, that the, the Lyon should have been on and, and that was what Clark was encouraging on Twitter and there's yeah. this momentum building up you can imagine what would have happened to Smith had they lost that test match or rather yeah. had they not won that test yes. match yeah yeah I would mean, have been had, a savage had come through they, yeah it would have absolutely gone him and you know maybe it would have been justified if a bowler's on a roll 
um, you know, the inclination would be to back them. Uh, but, uh, you know, Warning was really just using the chance to have a go at Steve Waugh anyway. Oh, I didn't. Oh, yeah. You know, just all about the fast men, you know, forgot that spinners existed. I can remember a lot of test matches where Shane Warne opened the bowling in at least one innings when Steve Waugh was captaining. Yeah, but, that, that, that seems fairly gratuitous. Imagine what it's going to be like when Austin Waugh's playing for Australia in a oh, few God. years' time and Shane Warne's on the commentary. It's going to be oh, embarrassing. Man. Anyway, yeah. let, let's, let's not talk about Shane Warne. No point. Um, so uh, it was Jackson Bird who got that breakthrough, though. The crucial... Um, seventh wicket, as it pr- turned out to be. Um, uh, you know, there was he a DRS, doing his bit, doesn't there was a DRS review for the inside edge, but then he got the inside edge. It was such wonderful bowling from yep. around the wicket to Amir. That's such a hard thing to do. Come around the wicket, move the ball away from the right-hander, then jag it back on Will. It shows how skillful he is as a cricketer. Yeah, I'm sorry, you mean, yeah, as a right-arm bowler to a left-hand That's batsman. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's not a line that he bowled very much, but mm. the, the fact that he was able to do it, I just love that he's, you know, he's that perfect third bowler. He's a great foil. He comes in and just does his bit where required, but you know he's bowled better and better in each innings. But yeah, that one back onto the stumps. Amir and Safraz had put on that good partnership in Brisbane in the first innings, mm. and they were doing it again here. And you know, had they batted out even another five or six overs, suddenly the deficit would have been close to gone, and uh, you know things would have been a lot different. Yeah, it would have been. At that stage, you realise that Safraz wanted to chase down the runs and, and make that the, 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 the defining sort of metric here, not the amount of overs to go. He ended up getting picked up by Stark in very similar circumstances. Yep. Around the wicket to the right-hander, took his stump out of the ground. That was very exciting for Australian fans, and it was a, effectively over there. A bit of reverse yeah. swing did Wahabi, and again, beautiful bowling from Stark. I mean, moving it away from the right-hander from a left-arm perspective yep. around the wicket, equally as hard to do. Yep. Um, probably harder at the pace that he bowls at, come to think of it. Um, Wahab stood no chance, and the last wicket, Yazir Shah, he skied it high in the air, appropriately enough, taken by Jackson Bird. The one man we haven't spoken about in this discussion um, in all of that is, is Josh Hazelwood. Took his 100th wicket in the first innings mm-hmm. um, at, at 25, uh, an economy rate of 2.88. Um, I think his first innings haul of three for 50 off 32 and a half overs with 11 maidens tells you all you need to know about Josh yeah. Hazelwood. He's not the bowler who was leaking runs in England in 2015. He's a completely different product now. Yeah, ridiculous numbers, really. The, the level of control that he's able to bring. And it, there's just been this sense of threat. You know, his spell to uh, to Eunice Khan in Brisbane, oh, where glorious. just every ball you were thinking he's, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone, and somehow Eunice fought through it but um, you know Hazelwood's been pretty unlucky in this series not to have much bigger bags than he's returned with and he still in this test match took five wickets away it was Australia's victory by an innings and 18 runs from nowhere the series is wrapped up 2-0 Pakistan are reeling for the 142,000 who came through not a bad number in the end uh, they they got to see a very interesting test match concluding in wonderful circumstances as the gates were thrown open and that MCG um, you know grandstand was bathed in sunlight a lot of people came in in the last sessions that was wonderful and for mine it was a reminder of why the longest form of our game is very much the best this is the final word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins ABC Grandstand Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Women's Big Bash League, we're nearly halfway through season number two. There were nine games scheduled for what I'm calling round three. They only got through eight due to one washout. But we have a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a, a clog, a clog, you know, a, a backlog of teams at the front, which have won four and three games respectively for um, the, the top seven. And then there's the Renegades languishing with one win from seven starts. And their season is all but over. In saying that, the Sydney Sixers were in a worst position last year ended up making the final but the Renegades don't have the firepower do they? I like a backlog of teams at the front I don't know what that means but it's great. Sorry about that that was a really poor choice of words. Yeah no it's a great choice of words we might as well work in the most ridiculous choice of words we possibly can (laughs) Uh, it couldn't be worse than the Renegades batting anyway I mean they make things easy for you they did this last season when you're trying to discount teams who are going to make it at least there's one who you know won't Um, yeah very disappointing I mean you 
you thought when they brought Grace Harris in, there was a, a chance to really strengthen that top order, but I wasn't convinced that there was much more around it. So, I mean, they've, they've had Sophie Molyneux come through and, and play tremendously well, really, and sort of reinvent herself as an all-rounder. But that aside, it's just been underwhelming totals in the vast majority of their games. Yeah, you, you, feel, for, um, you feel for Chris Britt, who made runs again in their opening rubber against the Thunder. She made 50 not out or 52 balls, and she did the same thing last weekend in a couple of instances as well. But making 110 was never going to be enough to hold back the Thunder. Uh, in their second rubber at Blacktown, where they had the double done on them, they only made 93 um, in their 20 overs, which again reinforces it wasn't just wasn't going to be enough. The Sydney Thunder spinners were the the crucial players on that occasion, um, in particular Aaron Osman who took three for 23. Uh, so and and the big players from last year as well, including Nicola Carey, who took two for 24. So Danny White top scored with 26 in that game. You can't win a game of T20 cricket when your top scores 26. Simple no, as that. I mean absolutely not, and that's that's been pretty consistent. Um, and I suppose it shows the confidence that you know Alex Blackwell came out in that first game and and really tonked them. She's never a tonker. She's usually a 44 or yeah. 43 balls, um, most of them in singles, a couple of boundaries, kind of kind of type. But she clubbed a couple of sixes, 61 off 38 in the end. Yeah, no, they were huge over Cow Corner to win the game as well. She, she had an absolute blinder. I do feel for the Gades uh, in terms of what they, uh, what they have, 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 have happened with Grace Harris. She hasn't made a run all year in any format of the game, really. Mm. She has struggled. Um, and it was a curious moment uh, during the weekend where she was, well, during the week, I should say, where she played the first rubber and was left out, and we were told that she was rested, but actually it's a shoulder injury, the Herald Sun reported. So um, there was a bit of, bit of drugs, ducks and drakes going on there. You know, it's like a, a AFL footy season being, uh, you know, that maybe she was rested, maybe she was injured. Anyway, she General was, soreness. General soreness, you know, yeah, the old... Um, uh, yeah, the, the old flu or Martians, as Kevin Sheedy might have said years ago. Um, but anyway, Grace Harris has missed out in the last two rubbers there, and it's unclear when she'll return to the side, ending what's been a disastrous 2016 from her, for her, really, at, at all levels of, of cricket, unfortunately. So hopefully for Grace, she's only 23 with enormous potential, hits the ball an absolute mile. Um, one of only two players to make a century in the WBBL. A nice little segue there, because the second one was Smooth. Sophie Devine, who we talk about every single week on this show. We've almost been waiting for her to do this. I mean, she's she's a specialist at making, you know, 40 or something off, off 30 balls. Um, but hasn't really necessarily had the opportunity to play the long innings, but she's been batting more up the order this year and and really came good with a, a monster 100. My word, they did. They needed her too, because they were, they were chasing 143 from the Hurricanes down at Glenelg. I think that was on Boxing Day, so <laughs> Had a massive total to chase after Heather Knight um, smashed 69 and um, and was in really good nick. And I also like Georgia Redmayne made 41 not out batting through the innings. Brittany Carter, who's normally on this segment with us but can't join us today, um, has, has talked her up uh, throughout the course of the season so far as a recruit from New South Wales. But with the bat, the strikers at home at Glenelg went absolutely nuts. But not after being two for five in the third over. There was a huge job ahead of them. And there goes Devine, if you don't mind, umpire. 103 not out of 40. 48 balls, eight sixes, and 10 fours. The next highest score was 19 not out. It's a little like that scorecard from South Africa with the under 19s. Yeah, that's right. 130, but no one else. Shania making 160 when everyone else made naught. She was over cow, it was straight, and she just Mm -hmm. slaps everywhere because she did play hockey for New New Zealand. So you can can really see that with her bottom hand slap, especially when she goes straight down the ground on one knee, complete class, hit a four to bring up her 100 and raise the victory at the same time. And equally in Grace Harris for the highest score in the WBBL making 103, but it was quicker, yeah. four, four balls quicker than Grace's. And, and also 88, confident uh, making the highest score on a ground that is, an, a, uh, that is a palindrome. Well, yes, yeah. that's, uh, that's, that's well, well pointed out. And with 88... <laughs> it's very important. Sure. And what, what, what I also love is only 15 of the 103 
went yeah. boundary. So 88 of 103 were fours oh, and sixes. Wow. That's like a, almost like a, I don't know, like a Bannerman-esque type number. Mm-hmm. Bannerman, of course, being one of our, you know, it's a different stat, of course, but that's only, that's 70%. This is considerably higher. Again, this is, you know, close to 86, 87%, whatever it'll be. That, that's incredible, really. You don't see that at all. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, and, you know, yeah, as you say, your next best 19, not out, no worries at all. Um, Meg Lanning also going all right this yeah. round. I, I almost feel like we should be banned from talking about Meg Lanning because everybody does all the time. But then she's come along. She's actually boosted her game so much. I mean, she was top scorer in the WBBL last year, but she's come in looking like an even better player, if that's possible. Yeah, she made 97 not out off 72 balls in the Stars, 148 for two against the Brisbane Heat in the first of their doubleheader at Allen Borderfield. Three sixes. No one else got above 16. No one else needed to. She made two-thirds of the score because, well, that's what Meg Lenning does. <laughs> sixes over long off, deep mid-wicket. And this beautiful clip over square leg, which was the best of them all. Her timing is extraordinary as ever. Um, no chance, really, in reply. They were three for 21 off six overs, the Heat. Um, after Mandana failed again, she holed out. Um, the Indian recruit, Beth Mooney, was out early as well. Pretty soft dismissal to Danny Hazel. DeAndra Dotton top scored with 24. We'll come back to her later for, for an episode in the second game of these two. Uh, and Morna Nielsen and, and Danny Hazel took wickets as the game petered out. They were well, that's what Morna Nielsen does, just, just constantly takes wickets. You know, She took yeah. that four very quickly against Australia in the World T20 in a, a game I was at over there. And, yep. and you know, she took bags of wickets last year for the Stars. Didn't do them any good. They were right down the bottom of the table, but they're not now. They're up the top. Well, the Stars um, actually lost a second rubber to the Heat in quite bizarre circumstances. Well, the Heat made 129 uh, for five in their 20 overs, and Beth Meany made 49. They had a good opening partnership. Jess Jonathan, 32 towards the end. They were well set. They didn't have a great last five overs, but they, they still made enough to have a fairly credible 129. That wins you most games in the WBBL. Then the Stars were absolutely flying at none for 88 off 12.2 overs. Meg Lanning's got 50 off 42, uh, but that was that was where it all kind of fell apart. She was out for 50. Inglis, who was killing it, and probably outstripping Meg Lanning at the top mm-hmm. of the order. She was out for 41. Um, and and this, there, was this, there was this drama, and, and we don't want to like turn this into a remotely laughing matter. Deandra Dotton um, had an enormous head clash after a Meg Lanning's ball fell just short of the deep mid-wicket boundary, and she came off worse for wear uh, and had, was taken immediately to hospital. It was an ugly clash. She's um, been in surgery this week and will miss the rest of the tournament. So that's a huge blow for the Heat. But to their credit, after that injury, that's exactly when they found their way back into the game, as though they were inspired by their teammate going down. Uh, they they bowled beautifully. Mandana of all of all bowlers coming in with their with their all round spin took right. two for six, encouraged some crazy shots. There was a capitulation there from the uh, from the uh, from the uh, from the Melbourne Stars. Uh, Carney was out to a full toss. Um, uh, from Barsby at the end. It says a bit about, you know, runs on the board and the pressure that always has in T20 cricket as the Stars has completely faltered. There's no way they should have lost that game. Well, yeah, and I mean, coming down to needing six off the last ball, which, you know, is not the easiest thing to do in the world and they weren't able to. But I suppose it's significant for Mandana that she's finding a way to contribute. Hasn't made a lot of runs. Hasn't made eight runs. She's made more than about 15 in her first seven hits or whatever it is. Yeah, and I mean, she's more a 50-over player than a 20-over player, in my opinion. You know, she's she's a stylist more than a, a bludgeoner, but uh, you know if she can chip in with the ball, then uh, at least the Heat will get some value out of her. But yeah, it's really, really shocking and disappointing stuff to see. You know, not that it matters how good the player is, but but to see one of the 
you know the greats, uh, the great talents of the competition not be able to take any further part and take so, you know pay such a heavy price for committing themselves to the game. Yeah, particularly after what we saw during round one up at North Sydney Oval in in that wonderful innings uh, to beat the Sydney Sixers. So she's going to be out for the rest of the tournament, and we certainly wish her well. From the final word, the Sydney Sixers did have a very productive weekend as well. They played two games, one against the Thunder and another against the Hurricanes, both in Western Sydney. The first one was a grand final replay of last year and the Sixers dominated. They made 164 in their 20 overs. It was a bad decision from the Thunder to send them in. They put on 88 for the first wicket. Alyssa Healy, 55 off 38 balls, was in tremendous nick, especially down the ground, inside out, over cover, over mid-wicket, using her feet to the spin. She was, it was a gorgeous knock. Elise Perry, 42 or 42, the most Elise Perry knock you'll ever see. Very uh, very <laughs> consistent as always. And then Ashley Gardner, 52 not out of 31 balls. Jeff, she's had a wonderful start to her season. Well, she's really come through. I mean, she's one of those players who was sort of thereabouts last year, but, you know, didn't really nail it um, at any particular time. But, yeah, she's been making 30s and 40s consistently this year. She's been... You know, one of their mainstays, even when the others, the bigger names, have failed. So uh, the the Sydney Thunder batsmen got to 131 for seven by the end of their 20 overs. They fell considerably short of the 164, which I think from memory is the highest score of the tournament so far as well by the Sixers. So a fine effort there. Their second game was against the Hobart Hurricanes. We had a bit of a nightmare, uh, the Canes, uh, against the Sixers there. They only got to 106. Harley Matthews made 27 at the top. But they never got going. Their their, their high profile player, um, Heather Knight, only made eleven. Uh, and oh, actually, it was Sarah Alley who I remember had a blinder in this game. Redmayne was this caught and bowled down uh, to her right. Yep. It's, it's the best catch I've seen so far in the tournament. Um, there was another great catch on the boundary later as well. So the fielding of the Sixers coming um, to the, to show there. And in in reply, um, Perry made forty four, not out of forty four balls. So again, a run of ball innings, which again is ever so consistent. And Gardner made thirty five. Their standard fifty eight. They just cruised from there. So Ashley Gardner, Elise Perry, Alyssa Healy, uh, the Sixers' high-profile batsmen all really stepping up. And then uh, we had the, the compression session under the roof oh, at, yeah. uh, at the Docklands. The, the Scorchers game made another massive score. They're 155 for five. And, you know, the Renegades. Valani. Renegades just weren't going to chase that. Valani, Valani, Valani. Valani Slice. I know she's your least favourite cricketer in the world, Jeff, but she, not true. she played very well for, for, for 60 or 43. That's a very balls. unfair. Uh, <laughs> if she's making runs, I like her a lot. Yeah, just, I know. Because when she does I know, I know, I know. She was dancing and smashing the spinner straight, the seam and square. Um, she, they were six. They were eighty-one uh, when he when she got out for sixty-six. So you can see the dominance she had early in the inning, setting it up, uh, and they had no real chance. The, the Renegades from there. So a fine in, a fine effort from the Scorchers, who only played one game in this round. So they've only played five games, but they've won three of those. By contrast, um, the Strikers have also won three games, but they had two washouts. They had a washout in their second rubber against the Hurricanes. Maybe they would have done the double on them there and, and pushed themselves in the top spot. But even so, I like the idea of the Adelaide, Adelaide Strikers being there and thereabouts after having such an appalling season one. Yeah, well, exactly. And in real underperformers last year, but... Um you know, I, they they were my dark horse before the season started, and I'm feeling better and better about that pick. But yeah, Soph Molyneux, as we said, 37 from 37, opening the batting now. I mean, she was you know batting at what nine last year, and yeah. and, and then was up to the, sort of the lower middle order this season, and suddenly she's an opener. We have the next round of matches starting today, this being New Year's Day. It's on television at the Adelaide Oval. The Scorchers are travelling to Adelaide to play the Strikers. On the Melbourne Derby tomorrow, also on TV, New Year's Day, Melbourne Stars versus Melbourne Renegades. On the second, the Thunder host the Heat in Blacktown and the Strikers host the Sixers in Adelaide. On the third, again, it's the Strikers and the Sixers in Adelaide and the Thunder and the Heat in Blacktown. On the fourth and fifth, we're in Melbourne. 
where the Gades are playing the Scorchers. The Stars are hosting the Scorchers as well on the second day there out in the leafy inner city suburbs of Camberwell and Turak, respectively. And to finish off the round on the 5th of January, the Hurricanes are off to Launceston and they're hosting the Thunder. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. ABC Grandstand. Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Uh, Big Bash men's comp started this week too. We're not going to spend too much time on it this week. Uh, We're going to do a longer, uh, bigger comprehensive wrap next week when we're halfway through the BBL season. But what we have had is the usual suspects doing what they always do. Lynn Sanity in Brisbane, he's a freak, Jeff. He's an absolute freak. He's averaging 198 for the competition. (laughs) It's been out once. Uh, So the Brisbane Heat are topping the table. They've won all three of their games. And how about just having uh, Brendan McCullum slot in at the top of the order there? I mean, you just oh yeah, we'll have the best T20 player maybe of all time to bat number three or whatever opening review is. Yeah, I mean, absolutely ludicrous. They, They put on a monstrous sort of partnership the other day with uh, McCullum hit four sixes, Lynn hit seven sixes, uh, McCullum making 72 off 35 balls, Lynn making 84 off 50. So that was, uh, and that was in a run chase as well. I mean, they'd been set uh, 173 Hobart. Hobart have been setting massive totals in all their games so far, um, just with an even contribution, you know, seven scores between 12 and 33. Mm. And then it just wasn't enough because those two uh, just ploughed it down in no time at all. Yeah, it happened again when they made a pretty good score at Bell Reeve on the uh, on Boxing Day against the Melbourne Stars before um, it was Bob Quiney and, and Glenn Maxwell, two of the mainstays of the Melbourne Stars lineup, who did the job there. Maxwell, uh, I know we talk about him a lot, and he has missed out on Test selection, so we didn't really get a chance to go on about him today. But um, that, that was a that was that was a sumptuous knock. Yeah, fifty eight not off twenty nine balls. So was pretty. that Maxwell one, and it wasn't and, even like crazy stuff either. No. It was just pretty. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't playing the absolute absurd shots, and and Bob Quiney doesn't get a lot of chances because he you know he's sort of out of the team mm. if Peterson's around that sort of thing. But he made seventy five off forty three, including <laughs> one of the big six as I've ever seen, a leg side flick that just landed right up in the top tier up in uh, the Ricky, the Ricky Ponting stand there. It was a huge hit, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it's all about Ricky Ponting. Actually, yeah, the best bit of the maybe. tournament so far is Ricky Ponting singing the Mark War Barmy Army song by some... That's clearly my tournament highlight so far. The fact that when, when Mark War goes, oh, they had a song about me and he didn't... He goes, oh, but I don't know it. I don't remember it. And the look on Ricky Ponting's face like, mate, mate. I remember I, it. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, I'm going to sing it for you word for word. Great I, did, I did enjoy that. It was great squirm. Just a tremendous amount of, amount of squirming. And, and Mark Ward tried to sing the Ricky Ponting song the next night on TV, yeah. but he had his phone out, he stuffed it up, had to sing it twice. It was a shame. I'm sure someone made him do it. I remember a producer's like, oh, yeah. you've got to do this, Junior. It'll be great TV. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, okay. So he had a go at it. Anyway, Chris Lynn, uh, you know, leading the run scoring, but uh, Tim Payne's been going tremendously well. Mm. 263 runs for him, and I did drop his name earlier. You know, I think we should have a game this season should be like ridiculous test match return um, conversations <laughs> that stem from big bash performances because this is going to happen a lot. Like been, last year, like last year with the BBL, it was always about um, who's going to India for yeah, the World T20. Must go must to go. the World T20. Usman Kawaja must go. Chris Lynn must go. So we're going to, on Twitter, we're, on the, we're using the hashtag must go a yeah. lot. Um, so anyone who ever does anything, um, get in touch with us on the must go. Got to go to India for the 2016 yeah, World T20. Or, simply got to go. Yeah. A couple of teams have won games. Games and lost games, including the Scorchers and the Sixers, and so far they've they've both won a couple and lost one. Um, in the Scorchers' case, Michael Ma- Ma- Michael uh, Maxwell Klinger, as I was calling him on the coverage the other night, uh, <laughs> uh, I wanted to say that he he made uh, he made uh, I think it was uh, how did he get sixty odd in that chase seventy something. I've just totally lost my notes here. He um, made plenty when it mattered in in this uh, in this run chase in the compression session, the clam bake at the Docklands. It was raining outside, it was steamy inside, and the the finish was unbelievable. D- 
DJ Bravo going down with a torn hamstring um, with three overs yet to yet to bowl himself. So they had to use Aaron Finch in a death over, and they nearly pulled it off. Really? Finch, he's a bloody good rep, as, as he said once before. He threw a kettle over a pub once as well. And on this occasion, <laughs> he, he, he kept the scorchers at bay, and, and Ashton Agar needed... Uh, three off the last ball after Finch ran out Adam Voges. That that didn't look good for Voges. Well, yeah, either. I mean, he got, so he got Mitchell Marsh out, caught down the ground, um, and then, oh, what a run out. They, <laughs> pushed, so if you haven't the seen leading it, edge. pushed into the offside, Finch runs across to cover, picks it up, and on the spin, on, on the ball of one foot, on the pirouette, fires at about one and a half stumps and absolutely nails them. So that got the Scorchers home. So they've had a couple of wins. Uh, I thought, and Agar's last six on the last ball was wonderful entertainment. It, That's it exactly was, what the Big Bash is all about. It was wonderful entertainment, but also, like, it, it's really breaking my heart that Ashton Agar is starting to look a bit old. Oh, he, this is reflected to, on, the, on the Twitter. Like a man. The hairline. He's, he's no longer a boy. The, the, yeah, the hairline's going back. It's a real thing, there's right? There's something in the face. You know, he's starting to. He's. he's He's going to be a grown-up, but he's so articulate. He's I just want to man. just want to cuddle him or something. He's so clever and nice and yeah, but I lovely. Just, I mean, he was just always Peter Pan. You know, as yeah. long as Ashton Agar was young, I was always going to be not that old. You know? <laughs> but now it's I'm uh, creeping closer and closer to death every day. Uh, the Sixers have won a couple of games as well. They won their first uh, Sydney Smash of the year to start the season against the Thunder, who are struggling. I only raised the Sixers to talk about the Thunder. They've lost their first yeah. three games. Admittedly, they did lose three games on the bounce last year in the middle of their season before recovering and winning the comp. But um, they, they dropped crucial catches. Watto's dropped catch an extra cover there that would have won the game the other night. I mean, we love the big rig. We love him. Yeah. We love him with all our, all our, everything within us, but yep. that wasn't pretty. Every every cell of our body cries out when Shane Watson drops a catch. And, and I'm surprised they haven't won a game in light of the fact that Pat Cummins is so impressive. He made runs mm. in the first two games. He's bowling 150 he clicks. He's hitting stumps. He hit seven sixes in two innings. Yeah. He's he, been smashing it with the bat. Made uh, 30 and then 37. Three sixes and then four sixes. He's been great. Um, and yeah, those thunderbolts that he sent down, you know, to just ripped through uh, McCullum and ripped through uh, um, Alex Ross, who's, mm. who's been batting really well this season as well. So, you know, you thought that he'd done enough. But, but Chris uh, Lynn decided otherwise. 85 or 48 balls. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, they, you know, they nearly cocked it up. It was uh, They were seven down uh, towards the end, but Lynn was still there, and he's just seen them home. They also beat the Strikers. Got to go to India, Chris Lynn. Got to, naturally. <laughs> they also beat the Strikers after making 206, and the Strikers falling about 10 runs short. An excellent last over there by Ben Cutting, um, keeping the heat on the right side of the ledger there. I so always the just hear that as a verb. People like Ben Cutting. And I just see him playing a cut shot. Like, this is Alex driving. This is Ben driving. Got to be more. Got to be more to it than that. It's another podcast right there. Um, the Strikers haven't won a game. They've lost both of their first two. Likewise, the Thunder were losing their first three. The Canes have only won one. Um, one of the times they did make enough runs, and the Stars have only played the single game at this stage, yeah, which so is good for Kevin Peterson. One. I often wonder this because Peterson has a deal where a contract where he can miss Christmas and get back um, not long thereafter. So they've only played one game, but I wonder if they, if they have had to play three early on. He would have missed, you know, nearly half, half the season. season. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, the fact is, they're in the top four from playing one game. Yeah, well, so. I, I, I'd sort out, I'd sort out the draw around Kevin Peterson as well. I'm looking forward to him being back on <laughs> the park in the next couple of days. I think it'll be tomorrow when they play their derby against Melbourne Renegades at the MCG. That's the marquee event of oh, the second. Right. It's very difficult being me in this dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's the marquee event. They could get over eighty thousand again to the G. Hope so. And that would be that would be a tremendous thing. We'll certainly be there for the final word, as we will be with you next week to talk about the BBL in greater depth. We're back in. A sec for our 2016 wrap. This is the final word with ABC Grandstand. Let's take this home on the final word. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon is. It's, I've, had, I've made a unilateral decision uh, just thinking about this segment there that I was going to do a best of and a worst of 2016, but 2016 has been a dreadful year in so many ways. We're just going to focus on the positives, Jeff. 
We're going to sing Kumbaya. We're going to smoke the peace pipe. We're going to see 2016 off with the, with the best of times. Or in a cricket field, sing Kumbaya. Kumbaya, yeah. I wonder if anyone did that in a, in a, in a, in a headline one day. You're, you should be a sub-editor, really, Jeff. In <laughs> just, a future life. Just making up crap fun. Yeah, that's what you should do. You know, people have made a very good living doing less. Um, well, why don't I start with you? Let's, give it, let's do a couple each, or let's do a few each, Jeff. Uh, what, what would be your... Uh, your, 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 in the mixer, what, give us one of your best moments of 2016. One of mine, best moments of 2016. Okay, being in Calcutta at Eden Gardens, never been to the great, you know, the great mm. Mecca, Laxman and Dravid, all that, mm. you know, my religion is that <laughs> that particular <laughs> innings um, back in 2001. Um, but being there to see uh, Carlos, remember that name, Brathwaite. Nailing, remember the name! Nailing four sixes in four balls uh, in the final over of the World T20 final and doing it to Ben Stokes, which made it a little bit sweeter. Um, just, it was so incredible to watch. The press box there is, is right up the back of the stands. So you've got this incredible sort of elevated view and we were watching from behind the batsman and every time he hit one, there was just this incredible, huge, clean arc. And you know when someone hits a six off and you go, oh, is that is that holding up? Or is that gonna is that going to be caught down at long on? Every one of those, you're like, no, that's gone. That's gone. That's gone. That's gone. Three down the ground, one over uh, square leg. And, oh, God, it was a magnificent moment. Delirious. Yeah, it really was. I was commentating that game, and uh, I lost my voice, uh, yep. you know, well before then. But that screeching it out, that was just a just – a, just a, we'll never see anything like it again, I, I wouldn't have thought, even in, in, in the shortest form of the game. Yeah. Four, four sixes in a row to win the World Cup is, is very special. Another one for mine would be my favourite big hitting moment of the year was the, 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 the luck to be there. We were very, very fortunate to be there at Hagley Oval in Christchurch to see Brendan McCullum bring up the quickest century in Test match history. There was so much to it. It wasn't the greatest innings of all time. I'll give you the tip. He, he played some streaky... He'd say himself. He did say himself. He played some very streaky shots. He scored a lot of um, runs through longer stuff. Yeah, he, he uh, top-edged half his runs. But, hey, look, as he, as he said, it was going to be his last innings. He said the day before well, the Test match... Test. He batted once more in the Yeah, test, you're right. But yeah. Sorry. But he, he, yeah. he foreshadowed before the Test match that he was going to cause some damage the next day. Um, and, and, he, and he certainly did. So that, that was... Um, and, and again, like being involved in the coverage of that at the time, it was just a very special thing to witness and be involved in. Yeah. As he, as he, as he motored from 20 to 80 in about four overs. I was on air at the time and it was just incredible. I, I couldn't believe what was going on. Um, I missed that by an over recall in a ton actually. It would have been, would have been an all-time great moment. But anyway, he, he, uh, he, he provided us with a great amount of joy in New Zealand the way he carried himself as well and, and winning that. It's probably not a huge moment but winning the Chapel Hadley Trophy that night in, in Hamilton. That was mm-hmm. again for me that probably the highlight of that tour. It meant a lot to the New Zealanders and um, Brendan McCullum's finale was was such a stylistic one. Yeah, exactly. And you know, his last few one day innings, he played in a similar vein. You know, he'd make yeah. forty off seventeen balls or something, and and then be bowled or caught at cover or whatever it was. Just just always, you know, just went out the same way that he came in. Um, Those whirring little but, legs as Jeremy. Came. Oh, wasn't that a beautiful little? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, if, if you're looking for videos, go, go find the video of Carlos Brathwaite describing his uh, four sixes, where he's like, "Well, I miss hit the first one, and then I miss hit the second one. The third one, I mostly got it. The fourth one was a miss hit. It's hilarious, um, nonetheless. <laughs> but yeah, that that McCallum knock. I don't know. It, it was it was dreamy. It was like this couldn't be happening. It was just impossible. And and the fact that he was like, "Well, I wanted Australia to be batting on day one, however it came about. So I figured we'd just all try to get out." <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, then, and then they set him 3 Remember they were going at 10 and over yeah. for the third hour of that day. It was just yeah. crazy. I mean, it's a partnership of 169 in 16 overs or something with yeah. Corey Anderson. That's right. Corey Anderson made 60 off 50 balls or something, and he was the anchor. Mm. <laughs> anyway, what's your, what's your next one, Jeff? My, my, well, you know, great one. Great moment for me. The, uh, the Wombat, uh, Rangana Herath, uh, being in Sri Lanka to watch him oh, yeah. do his work. The little trundler, you know, about four foot two. Um, 
just coming in and destroying Australia again and again with the most innocuous seeming stuff. Um, but then his level of ability, his incredible skill. And what really drove it home was that last test in Colombo when he's batting. He batted really well. It was highly entertaining in the series. Gets smashed square in the jats by Josh Hazelwood, I think it was. Really painful. Broke his box. Um, he was off the field. He, he was like, Didn't fall in, did it? No, no, I don't think so. He didn't have a David Lloyd. But, <laughs> no. um, but, but you know, you don't often see someone have to leave the field after that. And he came out to try to bowl in the next innings and he could barely get his front leg around. You know, they obviously was swollen to the size of grapefruits. And, and he it's could, always grapefruits when, the, when they're swollen. Well, like hailstones always golf balls. Exactly. Um, you know, maybe we could make, mix it up a bit. Uh, nonetheless, he just, he couldn't get through the crease. He had no penetration. He bowled 20 odd overs and, and, and looked like nothing. Steve Waugh and Marsh made hundreds and then suddenly he just finds it, flicks the switch, took 13 wickets in the test match, 28 in the series. Yeah, he's moted from three to 350 in, in no time. I saw his 300th wicket I think it was in Durham from memory, and and uh, and he looked like he was finished. He was he got absolutely clobbered yep. um, against England up there, and, uh, and and came back at home and, and was a different bowler altogether. And who knows, maybe he'll take four hundred now and go on and on. He will. He's thirty eight years of age, but he, um, he he has all the tricks still. Yeah, I mean, he absolutely should keep going as long as he can. Twenty eight wickets at twelve point seven five and a strike rate of thirty one. Stop it. I mean. You're nobbing a wicket every five overs. It's absolutely absurd. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you another World T21. Uh, Haley Matthews uh, chasing in the same night as Carlos Brathwaite, her 66 in the World Cup final. I, I asked her a couple of months later um, about um, about the idea of being the best player in the world and could she be the best player in the world. And this big grin comes on her face. She knows she can be. She knows she's the the, the next in line to be the next superstar of, of women's cricket. Uh, and that, and that World T20 performance, as you were there for as well, Jeff, that was just something special. Yeah, I mean, just the composure, you know, the fact that she had Stefani Taylor out there with her obviously helped. But, you know, Matthews made the running. You know, she in, in that innings, she was the one upping the ante. She was the one uh, hitting the bigger shots, pushing the score along. And, you know, she she was just kind of halfway between a, a dreamy kid who couldn't believe it had happened and this superstar professional athlete, you know, by the end of that day. She's still a kid after all, Hayley Matthews. That's the, that's the thing you've got to remember. She's 18 years old. She could also be an Olympic athlete with the javelin for Barbados, and I don't expect. And she's got an interest in maintaining that, 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 that as well. So a very capable young woman. And my last one, and I think this is a, not a bad place to leave it in many respects, given Pakistan are here. Lords this year when they beat England in that four-day test match, it was just... I mean, the push-ups in front of the Lord's Pavilion, uh, the push-ups at Mizbah Al-Hakdib after making 100 on day one, the incredible last session, a full house at Lord's with, you know, sun-soaked venue, as it were, at the time. And uh, and for mine, that seeing them elevated to number one in world cricket, which came after going to all with, with England in that in that series. I mean, that, that when you consider where Pakistan cricket was in 2010, it's often spoken about and we've talked about it a lot, but that was kind of the, 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 the full stop on five or six years of, of, of an incredible story. Yeah, and kind of, I guess, that little bit of rebirth in that Mohamed Amir sort of came back into the setup around oh, that yeah. time. For, for that test match. You know, it was his first test match back. Yeah, exactly. You know, at, at the at the scene of the crime, so to speak. And, and he took the last wicket, the, the stump still out of the ground, last wicket of the game at Lords. I mean, you couldn't have wrote the script. Well, I suppose you could you, you wouldn't have dreamt of such an incredible way to start a mm-hmm. test series like that. And in terms of the long... We talked about the beauty of the longest form of the game. That was yeah. certainly it. And I guess, you know, cricket moves on so fast that it's easy to, to get caught up in the present and say, oh, well, you know, now, now Pakistan have lost a few games in a row and, and they're no good. But I think we'll look back on that series. We'll look back on the the Yunus Khan double at the Oval. Um, you know the way that he defied his terrible run of form to win that game. The uh, the things, the way that Yasir Shah bounced back after being trounced mm. at Old Trafford. Um, 
I think we'll look at that in 10, 20, 30 years' time and say what a magnificent series that was. Let's not be sad that it's over. Let's be happy that it happened, as they say. Indeed, let's take that approach to 2016. It's been a weird old year, but we really enjoyed bringing the final word to you for the ABC. We'll be back with you next week from the Sydney Cricket Ground. Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon, Happy New Year.